Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, January 13th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, House Speaker Philip Gunn reacts to two key bills passing his chamber. Then the state Senate passes the Magnolia One redistricting map and... Legislators are crying foul, some of them. Plus, when it comes to tech jobs, Mississippi has the fewest, but the University of Mississippi hopes to change that one step at a time. And how daycares in the state are faring almost two years into the pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's House passed two significant bills yesterday. Republican Philip Gunn, who's Speaker of the House, tells MPB's Kobe Vance he's pleased with his chamber's work. I think it's a historic day for Mississippians based upon the two pieces of legislation we passed, the first being the income tax elimination. This vote got a, the vote was 96 to 12. Overwhelming statement by the House of Representatives. Simply what this bill does is is work to eliminate the income tax, put money back in the pockets of the people, works to cut the grocery tax in half, and works to cut the car tag. So this puts substantial money back into the pockets of the people. There is no downside to allowing our citizens to keep more of their hard-earned money. So I'm very proud. The bipartisan effort on the part of the House, we had Republicans and Democrats who see the value in this coming together put forward a, a, an overwhelming statement that this is something that needs to be done. I don't know that there's anything we could ever do from a financial standpoint to help our citizens more than eliminate the income tax. So very proud of that. We're going to continue to follow this bill through the process. Um, as far as the Teacher Pay Act, uh, we, have, we have the ability now to get our starting pay up to the national or the southeastern average. And that is something that we believe will help transform education in Mississippi. Uh, One of the biggest obstacles that we hear to retaining and keeping and uh, encouraging young people to go into the education profession is the pay. And so now we believe we are competitive with our surrounding states. Hopefully it'll give an incentive to young educators to go into the field and it'll give an incentive to those who've been in the field to stay and help educate our children. So those are the two things that we did. I think we, we're very uh, fortunate to have seen overwhelming support. I think the second one passed 114 to 6 or something like that. So two strong statements by the House today. Do you think that 
the elimination of some, like the income tax could conflict with the efforts to raise teacher pay into the coming years? Absolutely not. We made sure we had resources to do both. What do you think this says for teachers here in Mississippi that y'all did pass the teacher pay y'all passed the teacher pay raise? Um, what are you hoping that could mean uh, in, in, for the individual teacher? Well, as I said, I believe that, that by increasing the starting pay, we encourage young people to go into the field. I think it's been an obstacle to some people choosing that as a profession. And we encourage uh, our, our seasoned veterans to stay with it and educate our children. This is something that we need to be competitive in. And I think we're, we're doing a good job by raising this pay level to the way we did today. That's Republican House Speaker Philip Gunn. Coming up, Mississippi Senate forges ahead with redistricting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. While the House was busy with tax reform and teacher pay, the state Senate yesterday passed the Magnolia One redistricting plan. That map stands to expand southward Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District, which is majority black and represented by Congressman Benny Thompson. Before the bill passed, members of the Legislative Black Caucus proposed amendments to Magnolia 1 that challenged the realignment of District 2. That amendment failed. Democrat Sally Norwood of Jackson supported the failed amendment to the bill. He tells MPB's Kobe Vance he believes the new map is unfair to the congressman. I just wish that they would have honored his wish and not extended his district from Tunica all the way down to... Uh to Natchez and in that area. That's that's unfair, and that doesn't give him any respect as being the longest uh, sitting congressperson in the state. This would have also expanded power of Democrats to other other districts as well. What do you think that would have meant for Democrats here in the state? I think it would it would provide opportunity for opportunities for us to challenge some of those uh, um, some of the individuals that now represent those those areas because, you know, we talk about the population shift, you know, Mississippi as well as the country is is going in the direction of a, a minority, majority, and that, you know, that's going to come. So, you know, I just wish that we would have had, you know, better consideration and that the fact that the plan really was not made available for the general public to actually spend time reviewing, I think, is, is very unfair. Do you think there's been enough time to adequately debate the redistricting process? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I attended the public hearing, uh, one of the public hearing, but the public hearing to get public input, but it's very difficult to give input on something that you are not fully aware of or that has that is the recommendation of the committee. This uh, you're giving general comments or general, not really input, if you will. And one of the requests was that. The district, I mean, that the plan that was approved by the um, committee would come back before the general population and that the, um, you know, allow the citizens at that point to to comment on that, and that did not happen. The current bill uh, does meet all the requirements set up by the state, by the the nation. You know, 
Do you think this will be challenged in the courts coming oh, uh, sure in the future? I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will because the you know the one man one vote and the deviations are there, but there are there are certainly changes that the court uh, approved previously that's uh, um, not included here. So I, I expect it to be challenged. That's Democratic Senator Sally Norwood. Coming up, when it comes to tech jobs, the state has the fewest. But the University of Mississippi hopes to change that one step at a time. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Tech jobs. Every city wants more of them, which makes attracting them that much harder. Mississippi and Louisiana lag behind every other state when it comes to their tech sectors. Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom reports on what lessons those states can learn from Alabama's biggest tech success. The view on the other end of Heather Bulk's Zoom call is not much to look at. It's an acre or two of patchy, mostly brown grass in Huntsville, Alabama. Oh, my goodness. It's beautiful. That is the most perfect spot in the United States. Heather Bulk is the co-founder of Special Aerospace Services. She first saw this spot in person while checking out the new Blue Origin building. The Jeff Bezos-owned company sent the billionaire into space last year. When she left that parking lot with one of her managers... I asked her who owned that land across the street. And she said, oh, I, I have no idea. And I said, well, that, that's our new building. For Bulk, a big reason to build here is the chance to join Huntsville's already booming tech sector. About 7% of Alabama's workers have tech jobs, ranking the state 24th according to the Computing Technology Industry Association. A lot of those data specialists and engineers live and work in Huntsville. About 200 miles west, the University of Mississippi's working on building up the state's own tech sector. Private donors committed $26 million for a new STEM building, which will be the main campus's largest single construction project ever. Noel Wilkin is Ole Miss's provost. There's a lot of groundwork right now, a lot of bulldozers and, and earth movers and, and uh, laying infrastructure in the ground for sure. It's also laying the groundwork for Mississippi's tech sector because, frankly, there is not much of one right now. Less than 4% of Mississippi workers have tech jobs lower than any other state. Louisiana ranks 49th. This new facility is a baby step for Mississippi's tech scene. A big $26 million baby step, but still just a step. The reality is if you want to move beyond 50th, you have to, you have to move to 49th, and then you have to move to 48th, and then you have to move to 47th. You have to climb the ranks. If you want to build a strong tech sector, having a strong tech program at a university does make a big difference. But how else can Louisiana and Mississippi climb up from the bottom of those ranks? Well, it helps to play to your strengths. In the 60s, researchers in Huntsville designed the rocket that made the moon landing possible. Huntsville adopted the nickname Rocket City and built a space sector around that. It's why Heather Bulk's moving partner for aerospace company there. That is clearly a tremendous draw. It kind of like reminds me of the idea, like, to make money, you got to have money. <laughs> to, to, to get tech jobs, you kind of have to already have tech jobs. Is that, do you agree with that? Well, I think you have to have a stake in the ground and then expand from there. 
there is no question that Mississippi has similar gems that they can leverage and build upon. Basic infrastructure like good roads and internet help too, but just as important is the quality of life stuff. Lucia Cape is the head of economic development at the Huntsville Chamber of Commerce. She says about 15 years ago, the city's tech companies came to her with a problem. They would recruit college students from across the country, put them in these great entry-level programs, and at the end they would lose them to bigger cities. So the chamber and city worked on getting the things young tech workers said they wanted, like more bars, food truck festival in the downtown Byer Park, an outdoor shopping mall, a skating rink that's up for the winter, and plenty of restaurants. Cape says cities have to be intentional about these attractions, especially because the trends keep changing. The soft stuff is almost harder because you can't just put money on it and contract it out. You have to be responsive and it has to it has to be, you know, genuine. Huntsville also says it attracts talent with its short commutes, natural beauty, and cheaper than Silicon Valley rent. All things Louisiana and Mississippi can include in their pitch to rise up the tech state ranks. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership among public media stations in Alabama, Louisiana, and Mississippi. Coming up, how daycares in the state are faring almost two years into the pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Even as the Omicron variant of COVID-19 rages in the state, it's unlikely businesses in Mississippi will face another shutdown. Governor Tate Reeves has made clear that keeping businesses open is one of his top pandemic priorities. Nonetheless, operators in certain industries continue to face significant disruptions related to COVID. Democrat Sheck Taylor is a state representative from Starksville. He's also director of a daycare called the Brick Fire Project. We're constantly having to increase safety procedures when it comes to COVID and things of that nature. And it's expensive. And, um, you know, there's times when a child will come with a, a runny nose or something along those lines. You know, they're permitted inside and things of that nature. But, you know, the idea of a common cold or the person having a common cold is kind of out the window. You know, everyone... <laughs> With the, with the slightest of cough, children uh, across the state are being sent home and uh, being refused child care because of uh, COVID-19, whether they have it or not, for some people. So, you know, it's a very interesting dilemma that we're facing. Uh, my job as executive director is to provide safety first and, of course, to uh, uh, educate our children. And I take both of those things seriously. But COVID has changed the way that we service our community. And um, that, that is something that uh, I think we all are grasping with uh, how to provide a safe environment and also how to educate our children. What precautions are you taking? Well, of course, um, uh, hand washing. Of course, also uh, scanning children as they come in, temperature scans and things like that. But you and I know that that's not always the best indicators, especially with this Omicron variant. Uh, I don't think you're seeing a lot of high temps. I think it's actually mimicking the flu more than, uh, and this is just my personal opinion, uh, than, than some of the other viruses or the strands of uh, of COVID. So, uh, you know, I, I really believe that people are walking around with it and, and transferring from person to person is, is highly contagious. And, uh, you know, uh, my child care providers and my workers are, you know, are, are very fearful of it. Uh, we've had employees for over 20 years 
and a lot of those in that demographic uh, had had you know chose to retire uh, for safety and, and health reasons. So, you know, you're dealing with a, a younger populace as far as employees uh, training, uh, as far as uh, hands-on training that we used to get in the past. And, you know, this 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 um, um, I mean, the, the the resources of training were just endless. But now uh, you're having to deal with, of course, um, Zoom and uh, other procedures and and uh, a more hands-off approach uh, so that everyone else is safe as well. So I'm questioning, you know, how this is going to look in the next five, five, ten years when it comes to us uh, actually preparing our students uh, for kindergarten and for first grade. Children are very hands-on and they like to touch each other and play and so sure. forth. How do you manage that? You know, it's, it's very difficult to do so. And, in fact, you can question if that's actually developmentally appropriate to to actually just stop a child from touching and, 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 and interacting and things of that nature. But what we've done as far as equipment is concerned, uh, each child pretty much has a, uh, a, one, a one-to-one ratio when it comes to balls and and learning devices and uh, the make-believe area, things that they're actually uh, interacting with, putting their hands on. uh, And we have to sanitize, you know, when we we rotate them, uh, we have to sanitize that that area, that ball, that piece of equipment, piece of clothing, and then move them to another station. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. And and, uh, so... You know, everyone has to be dialed in and committed to that aspect of safety because what will happen is is that you come back the next week and, you know, you may have five students, in, you know, left or seven students left. And now you have this crazy ratio of teachers to students. And now it now becomes, a, you know, a financial decision, uh, what adult stays, what may have to leave early because to keep up with these ratios. But, you know, the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to, you know, from the state. And, of course, I'm an employee of the state now as well. I'm an elected official. And we have to advocate for increased fees from uh, Department of Human Services for child care because of all of these things. And and we have just got and there. There have been some many grants out there. There's been some access to, uh, to resources that would definitely help. Uh, but that's six months at a time. Do you have a lot of employees and children that have had COVID? I wouldn't doubt if every person and every child has been affected in one way or the other. Have you had parents mm-hmm. say, oh, I just can't leave my child anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, we've had parents uh, the whole gamut. I'm on my way. And on my way means that I'm picking them up at 5 o'clock, you know, regular time. And um, even when parents are penalized, uh, we've had parents still drop them off. <laughs> still drop them off knowing you know, that there have, you know, been issues, um, but these parents are in a bind as well. And, and again, it becomes, it becomes an issue of finances. So we have, uh, our business model has been to respond to about 90 to 95% of our clients actually uh, meeting our poverty thresholds, either either at poverty or below poverty. That's our mission. That's that's our clientele. That's who we are dedicated to serving. That's the, uh, that's the community we serve in. And so having said, having said so, if they had retirement, if they had uh, paid days off, if they had 
uh, insurance programs that allow them to, you know, uh, do some of these things, then it may not be such a such an issue. But when they're working two and three jobs, three hours here and two hours here, and a cleaning job in the evening, it makes it very difficult for them to stop what they're doing in the middle of the day to see for that child. That's been that's been where we found our strength is to be that bridge between work and school for that parent, and we're dedicated to it. But because of the parent uh, not being the, some of our parents not having the earning power, increased minimum wages and things of that nature, anywhere from twelve to fifteen dollars an hour, uh, which is a livable wage in the state of Mississippi, or being proposed as a livable wage in the state of Mississippi, a lot of them are hard pressed to. Uh, do the, do the smallest of things, which is stop what they're doing and saying, hey, listen to their employer, I need to go pick my sick child up. Democratic Representative Sheck Taylor of Starkville, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about this serious issue. Well, thank you so much. And it, and, and let me just say this before, before the conversation ends. We cannot forget that child care is economic development. It is not a handout. You know, when the monies go to uh, come um, down from uh, from the Department of Human Services, those are, that's not a handout. That is actually a hand up for working families, which undergird our state. So, from whether it's lawn care, whether it's um, you know the the whole gamut of uh, support uh, support workers, this is economic development at its finest. There there are two things that cannot uh, be forgotten. You have to have affordable housing in the state, and you have to have a place, a safe place, that's going to nurture your child while you're at work. If you don't have those two things in place, there is no economic development. That's House Democrat Sheck Taylor. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stay with us for a full morning of radio live from our studios in Jackson. Coming up at 9, Creature Comforts, 10, Autocorrect, 11, Southern Remedy. You can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio shows at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. We'll see you tomorrow at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Have a good day.